Well, indeed, good morning, awakening people. We gave you an extra amount of time to sleep. Dude, we set up some rows back there. Jeremy, this is good. My encouragement was for us to pack it out at 10 and for us to have some great celebration times during the summer. We're not done worshiping. Uh, for those that show up at 1030, we figured they might want to have some worship. So we put some worship at the back of our service today. But I am glad that you're here. And if I've never met you before, my name is Carrie, And I am so pleased that all six of us in the Bowman household are here for five weeks this summer. So it's great to have us. A lot of comings and goings with us, but uh, it is great to see you. I wanted to make one announcement, though, that uh, it was prematurely put up there, but can you put up this beautiful view of Oceanside Beach? Now, um, you got it there? You had it. I saw it earlier, right? You can jump to the message slides and get it. And um, we are going to have a beach day this Saturday. I've never been at a church where we could have a beach day. I think it's just so cool. So like at 10 o'clock, I mean at 10 o'clock on Saturday, south side of the pier, Oceanside, there we go. That's where our next gathering is going to take place, all right? That's our next service there. It's sort of an open house kind of thing, though, right? You come and go. I don't know how long you folks hang around. I got that marine layer thing. Hopefully that's gone, all that type of stuff that goes on around here. But to come and hang out and just take the opportunity to get to know some other people, bring some friends along with you. How non-threatening is that to invite somebody to a beach day? So that's the last announcement. It was really a key one for me because I never got a chance to announce a beach day before. <laughs> well, as uh, you saw in the video that I sent the last couple of weeks, this kicks off um, a summer run for us called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And Guess Who's Coming to Dinner has one service, one series, and one social. Jeremy just said sign up for the social, so that's good. And you're all here for the one service, so that's good. We've got a good start to it. And we're going to start a one series um, here in just a few moments. But when you come to a table for dinner, what's normally, if you were brought up in Christian homes, is the first thing that you do? You pray. And what I'd like to do, now there's some people joking beforehand, fight and other kinds of stuff. I, I, I know that we don't all get at the table at the same time. But, uh, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I, I sent you a, a video from being around my mother's table in the house I grew up in. And uh, I don't recall us ever missing a prayer. And so I would like us to lead off every message, this series, um, with some pastoral prayer. And by that, I mean not just, Lord, thank you for us being here. God bless us. We're good. I know that there are particular needs in the body of Christ on a morning such as this where you need God's intervention. And we're going to talk about God's intervention today. And so I want to just have a prayer for one another. And maybe you can just sensitize your spirit to the Holy Spirit to pray for other people in the body that you might know that need to have prayer lifted. Maybe you need to change the posture of how you pray even this morning. I'm not hesitant to have people come and just kneel and pray around up front if you just need to physically bring something to the Lord. But uh, today I'm going to ask for those of you who are standing in a place that you need God's touch in a special way. Maybe it's physically, financially, 
Maybe it's just a vision for your life. Maybe it's something you're serving him in, someone you're trying to reach out to, and, and uh, you're just broken over not being able to help them as much as you'd want. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at. I'm going to include you as we spend some moments in prayer together before we come to the table. Anybody? Just stand representing a prayer need. And maybe as some of these individuals stand around, you can just remember them um, as you pray along with me. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we are so grateful that we get to gather around your table because of your work on the cross. And that we pray not in a wishful, hoping kind of way, but that we can pray with a full faith because of the finished work of the cross. Lord, you know the needs that are represented here in this body and the needs that extend beyond this body. Far greater than any one of us could even comprehend, even if we were a close friend. And so, Lord, we ask, Jesus, that you would intercede, you who are seated at the right hand of the Father, and you would take the particular needs represented in this body and take them before the throne room. And, Lord, we ask if there's broken lives that are represented by these prayer needs, that you would be able to guide and orchestrate that individual to come into an encounter with your word, to see your truth that could bring them to freedom. Maybe it's an individual, Lord, that we would just pray that you would bring another friend in their life because they're not receiving words that we want to share with them. But maybe someone else can speak into their life. Lord, we would pray for that person to come across their path. Lord, we ask that you would Give fresh vision and hope to some of the individuals this morning that are without vision and hope for their life. Maybe some dreams have recently been crushed and there's living life in the question mark that's just not fun. Lord, may you in your own small way and your timing, increment by increment, begin to unfold before them a fresh and a clear vision. Maybe not only for life itself, but maybe even for this just next season of journeying with you. Lord, whether that's a job issue, whether that's a schooling issue, Lord, whether it's a family issue, we just pray, God, that you would, in your own way, paint a beautiful vision for them. Lord, we ask that you would um, draw near to the broken physically this morning. Some physical challenges have been going on. Lord, I know we pray for one another weekly in that. Different individuals and families that have been under the duress of of physical challenges. And Lord, we just thank you that you're Jehovah Rapha. You're the God who can heal. And we just ask that you would reach out and bring that healing provision, whether through a doctor's hand or medicine or through therapies, Lord, just bring that healing about in their life to bring them to a place of wholeness, to bring ultimately glory to you. Lord, there's several other needs that you know that are represented here in this body and with our extended family and friends, whether they be financial or relational, whatever it may be, Lord, may you just draw near and let us know that we have hope this morning that is real because we can have faith in you who are the real God. So, Lord, we love you. We do pray your blessing upon this season of church life for the awakening as we come together to, to unite ourselves in one service. We just pray, God, that your presence will be rich and that we would live and worship in ways that are honoring to you for your glory. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, guess who's coming to dinner? Around the kitchen table that I grew up in with, and uh, even presently today, and by the way, this is our smaller kitchen table from my house. I promised my wife I would get it back to her. (laughs) You come seated around, and everybody has something going on in their life. And you share together experiences, hopes, challenges, dreams, exhort one another. Probably some of the best things that happened instructionally in my life came around this table. My dad always said at the end, I always sat next to my dad. There was both good and bad in that. (laughs) My brother sat across from me and my sisters. There was five of us siblings and mom and dad. And as I mentioned, we would lead off and pray, but then we would share and we'd encourage. Uh, We would banter back and forth and kid, and yeah, there'd be nitpicking and all that. But there's something about a table experience that enables us to get to know somebody. And so, for this series, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, we're going to just randomly pick an Old Testament character that would be pretty cool to be seated around the table. I'm not even sure who's going to be seated here every week yet. Just open to God. But this week, I thought we would start at the top. We'd start with probably one of the most powerful names known in the Old Testament. And that is the name and the person of Moses. Moses. Now, I'm not sure what Moses would look like, but I found this picture and I like it. Because Moses, he was not only a rugged dude, he was, uh, he was a, a leader, a competent person. He got himself down and dirty and he made things happen. In fact, the first five books of the Bible are attributed to Moses. But if Moses showed up and he'd probably clean himself up before he sat down at a table such as this, what would Moses share? What would Moses share? Now, that's a picture of Moses. Now, normally, what picture comes to our mind when we think of Moses? Oh, come on. Charlton Heston, right? You bet. Ten Commandments. We all grew up maybe seeing that. It's a classic, an Academy Award winning classic. Nobody could replace playing Moses like Charlton Heston. Now, I tell you what, they're going to give it a try, though. I discovered this week, maybe you already knew about it, that they are coming out with another movie concerning the Exodus. It's coming out in December, and it's entitled Exodus, Gods and Kings. And uh, this movie, Exodus, Gods and Kings, is uh, directed, I guess, by Ridley Scott. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, Ridley Scott, you got the next slide there, Jonathan? The next uh, slide... uh, He's directing it, but Christian Bale is um, going to play Moses. Batman playing Moses. That's worth going to see. What do you think? Yeah, so I think it's like December 12th that it's coming out. But it's interesting, I came across, um, well, Christian Bale, he had one quote in it, and he said, Charlton Heston does Charlton Heston better than anyone. 
But the biblical account of Moses is extraordinary. And there was lots of room for us to go to places that the Ten Commandments never dreamed of going. His one request was no fake beards, though. So um, that's good. And Scott says this about his own movie. He must have had some Christian background. He says, what I thought I knew about Moses, I didn't really. Either I wasn't paying attention in Sunday school or I had forgotten. I was knocked out by who he was and the basics of the story. It has to be one of the greatest adventures and spiritual experiences that could ever have been. It's true. In fact, I've spent my last couple of weeks back reading through the Exodus and the life of Moses. And I would really like to meet Moses because there's a lot of things I would like to ask him. I would just like to hear from him. I mean, you think about all the tremendous opportunities and experiences they had in different places and things that were going on from, from when he was called from the burning bush in the wilderness. God lit a bush. And there's a lot of dry bushes around here. So lit a bush. And it just stayed there. It didn't disintegrate. And God spoke from that bush. And then he took his staff and he threw his staff down and it became a snake. And then he picked it back up. And for a strange reason, God chose to show us our first California snake a couple weeks ago. And it was six feet long. And I wouldn't touch that to pick my staff back up. I'm sorry. The plagues. To comprehend how God did the plagues. And then the whole exodus, of course, of taking the Israelites across the desert and through the Red Sea. And then on the other side of the Red Sea was uh, the Mount Sinai experience and God meeting him. And he got the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, the need for water, the striking of the rock, to be able to uh, have uh, manna and, and quail food to feed people. All over the place, there were these incredible miracles and signs of God showing up at different points in his life. And I'd like to say, you know, Moses, tell me about that one. Tell me about that one. Well, there's three things I have pulled out for us just to focus on that Moses might be able to share with us today. Well, he could share with them, but compared to everything he could share, and there's a lot, there's three things I think he would just remind us of today from his life experience. And the first is this. There is a real and awesome God. I've met him face to face. You met God? I've met God. I've met him face to face, Scripture says. It says this in Exodus thirty-three eleven. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then in Deuteronomy 34.10, it says this, But since then, there has not arisen, this is when he died, in Israel, a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Think about it. Somebody sitting at your dinner table who had met God face to face. I would be parking a lot of time with asking him, what's God like? What's God like? He came close, face to face. But even yet then on Mount Sinai, when he wanted to see God's full glory, do you remember the experience? Some of you know it. He says, I want to see your full glory. God says, you can't handle it. You go stick yourself in that crevice of the rock over there and I'll show you my hind parts. That's literally what it says. You can't handle my glory. 
So even Moses, who is described as someone who saw God face to face, really didn't fully see God face to face in all of his glory. Scripture says no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus is the one who has come closest to us. And guess what? We're in good stead because we can get to know Jesus. Maybe not see him face to face, but if you are desperate to know God and to meet God and to understand God, to be around God, to hear from God, to know the path that God would have you to go on, it's possible. It's possible for you to do that. Because God is real. And the Lord Jesus Christ is real as well. And Moses would just simply say, there is a real God and he's an awesome God. And I have met him face to face. Now, this week, I took a little bit of a journey trying to figure out this whole Exodus pathway. Some of you have Bibles. You got a map in the back of your Bible. When it comes to the map that describes where the Exodus is, it's very confusing because a lot of times it's going nowhere. And a lot of times it doesn't even cross the Red Sea. Well, as I was looking through some different maps and some other different theologians and archaeologists and some other people who studied some ideas about, well, where did it all go? I came across this particular journey. Now, this may or may not happen. We're not going to be reading through the story. But when, Jesus, when God called Moses out of the desert through the burning bush to go back into Egypt to free the Israelites, he had a specific plan in mind. And we're going to see in a little bit how God had used different seasons in Moses' life for preparing for this wilderness experience. But the Israelites were an oppressed people in Egypt. Now, if you rewind the Old Testament story, they're in Egypt. Why? Well, they're in Egypt because there was famine. And Jacob took his family there. And Joseph, who had been betrayed by his brothers, had risen in line next to Pharaoh And he understood that there was going to be a famine. And so the Israelite people came out of the Israel area from Abraham's place. And they became part of that world. In fact, the Goshen area, it says, the Goshen area is the fertile area of Egypt up along the Nile. But then scripture says that there arose a Pharaoh over time who knew not Joseph. And he became intimidated by the Israelites because they were multiplying rapidly. So this Pharaoh thought he would begin to oppress the Israelites with hard work and sort of kill them off. And they became slaves in this country in which they used to be highly endeared because of the patriarch Joseph. This Pharaoh didn't care. Moses. Remember the beginning story of Moses? Pharaoh was going to kill the babies, the male babies. And so Moses' mother placed him in a basket in the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter went. And there Moses was discovered and brought into the very Egyptian palace that Pharaoh himself was in. And he grew up in that luxury of life. God divinely working in his life to prepare him for future. But then there came the moment when it was time to do the exodus. God called him there and they left. Where did they go? Well, Scripture says that they gathered in Sukkoth, 
which is actually a very flat area, and this is where the Egyptian armies would gather. And so we're talking maybe close to two million people, Israelites, Hebrew people. They gathered there, and they were ready to take off and leave after the plagues, and Pharaoh said they could go. And they headed out into the desert. Now, I don't know where they go. This particular map is just one person's idea. But what happened to me this week as I climbed into it, it got me excited because here's the reality. It's, it's a real factual story. I mean, we're living here in 2014, but they lived centuries, right? Millenniums ago. But this actually happened. This large entourage of Hebrew people taking off to go to the promised land, to be reestablished where God wanted them to be established, it actually happened. And so you're trying to figure out, well, how did it happen? And this one particular study I was doing was, was finding a meander in its way that maybe it really wasn't up in the northern part of the Gulf of the Suez, but it was over by the Gulf of Aqaba. It talks about in Scripture how they were said, at least by Pharaoh, to be wandering around aimlessly and being boxed in in the desert. And so in this particular scenario, it talks about them coming over towards Ethium, and then they headed south. And when they headed south, they went into a canyon. Picture the canyons more, because there's canyons around here now. And there was really no way out from the canyon. And so this canyon was coming up alongside of the, the Gulf of Aquaba. And there were mountains along the, the both sides. They were locked in. And Pharaoh's like, oh, man, what stupid people. They're not going to make it out of there. And so he continues to send his troops in because after he released them, he changed his mind. So he sends his army, 200, 250,000 people with chariots and, and all kinds of the, the top of the line war equipment headed towards him. The Israelites, the Hebrew people are spooked, right? Now, can you just imagine Moses telling you this story? All the real details. Guess what? I think, and you may not think, but you're wrong. I'm right. I, I think I get to do that someday. And maybe he's even got video. I don't know. But I'm going to sit down and say, tell me these details. What does it mean like that they were confused and Pharaoh was coming and the Egyptians were right there with all of their war power and the Israelites were in fear and trembling and then God, who had been leading them with a cloud during the day and fire by night, a pillar of fire, moves that pillar of fire behind them and blocks in the Egyptians away from the Israelites. But there they stood on the banks, possibly, of this place the Gulf of Aquaba. Now, what's God going to do in that moment? It says that Moses raised his staff and all night long the winds blew from the east. It wasn't like one of those real quick things there in Charlton Heston movie, right? All day he held his staff and the winds blew and the people cowered. What is he doing? And God ripped that Red Sea in two. Now, this particular scenario, the reason it sort of excited me just because, you know, God works with natural things as well as doing his supernatural deal. Is there's a place at the end of this canyon where it comes out and, set up and, and all two million of the Israelites could have been there. Under the water, there is actually a land bridge in that particular place that's only 30 meters deep. Now, on both sides of the water, it goes down into deep, deep caverns. 
but could have been that God chose that particular place on both sides of the Gulf of Aquaba where they could go. And when the winds blew and the waters parted and that soil was dried up, that it was God just working with the natural ingenuity he knew because he already created the world and he knew where that could happen best. One uh, person who theorizes that this is where the crossing is at has actually gone there and, and done some uh, studies trying to figure out if there's any remains. And uh, they say that they dived down and they actually found in the water in this place things that are chariot wheels. And doesn't that just make sense some willies through you? It's like, no way, really? Yeah. Now, the chariot wheels would have disappeared over time and coral would have gathered around them. The one in the middle is said to have been plated with gold, a silver chrome kind of thing, and so coral doesn't grow on it. But indeed, could that be true in that place? Because it says in Scripture that God what brought confusion to the Egyptians when they had followed through and the wheels of the chariots fell off. And it drowned the whole stinking army. Boom! Like that! Once they got the other side, Moses raises his staff, the water goes back, done deal. It really happened. God is real and awesome. I've met him face to face. I've seen him work. And we can go and do excavations and try to figure out if indeed that's it. Now, you can form your own opinion, do your own studies on that kind of thing. But something drew me in this week when I listened and heard that. And I thought to myself, I I serve a God who he is real. And he actually did that. You know, the event of the Exodus is really like the event of the crucifixion and the resurrection in the New Testament. Moses is a type of Christ in one sense. The Israelites, the Hebrew people to this day, if you're Jewish maybe, your background, you know that you cast a reminder all the way back to God's deliverance out of there. And you rest your faith and your hope on the fact of this. There is a God, and our God is able to free us. And He's an awesome God. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that today. That this faith for which you gather and you worship here this morning is a faith that is real. It's not make-believe. It's not legend. And it's not distant past. God is active and powerful. And if Moses was seated at this table today, he'd say, you have reason to worship. Well, what else might he say along with that? I would just simply say this. He would say to you, there is a real and awesome God. I've met him face to face. Personally meeting God is an episode no one will evade. All of us will see God someday. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. You don't have to conjecture, oh, that would have been nice to see God work and do that. You will see God. I will see God. And we will see Him in all of His glory and we will know that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is an episode that you will not evade. My prayer is that you don't wait until the final day to meet God but that you would choose to meet God in your life by considering how you can offer your life to Him. And maybe you've already offered your life to Him and you wonder where God is at. I'm sure Moses had a lot of those days wandering in the wilderness, even after those big events. God is able to enter your day, no matter where you're at, and bring you hope 
as we prayed for this morning. Whatever your need may be, whatever the vision is he has for your life. There is a real and awesome God, Moses would say. I've met him face to face. Personally, meeting God is an episode no one will evade. And he would tell you that as well. The second thing he would maybe say. As he would say, I am nothing, but God still chose to use me. You know, you can take the life of Moses and break it into three segments. He lived to be 120 years old, Scripture says. You have the first segment of his life when he was taken as the baby out of the Nile, raised in the Egyptian palaces and the courts and trained there. He had 40 years there. And then there was the event that happened that caused him to run from Pharaoh. And he ran to Midian, which was on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba there. And that's where he met Jethro, married Jethro's daughter, and he spent 40 years in the Midian desert being a manager of livestock. 40 years. Second segment. Then God meets him in the burning bush. He calls him at the age of 80 to go and set God's people free. And so he had another 40 years then with the Exodus. First 40 in Egypt, second 40 in the desert of Midian, and the third 40 in the Exodus story. Now, we don't live to be 120. But I thought, you know, God's grace, we could live to be 90. Take your 90 years that you get in your life. What season are you in? 30? 60? Or towards the 90? Now, it hit me because, you know, I'm 53. And so I'm like, oh, I'm the second season. People start talking about retirement. All those kinds of things. Guess what with God? He doesn't do that. He took an 80-year-old, which will translate it to our years, a 60-year-old, and he hadn't even started to use his life yet. So put away your retirement plans, okay? That's what Moses would tell you to do. But in putting away your retirement plans, God taught him something through those three seasons. I like how D.L. Moody put it this way. Um, D.L. Moody is a very... um, Famous preacher in American history, but he was an uneducated man originally from the get-go, and God used him powerfully as an evangelist. And D.L. Moody said that in the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses thought he was somebody. He spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the second 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And he spent the third 40 years discovering that God likes to use nobodies. And so that's why I say here, I think Moses, if he was here looking over the spectrum of his life, he would say, I am nothing, but God still chose to use me. Why was it in the Median, uh, what, Meridian, uh, Median <laughs> Desert? It's because he killed somebody. He murdered somebody. Somehow God was, uh, at that moment of time, I still believe, was working on his heart. He says, this is not right for the Hebrew people to be punished. And, and he went out to, to see what was happening with all the workers. And there was, you know, a, an Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew. So he jumps off his horse, he takes him on, and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Oh my goodness. He goes out the next day thinking he's going to be a hero, right? God's going to use his life here to set his people free prematurely. He jumps at it. Happens to us all the time, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, he sees two Israelites fighting. He says, hey, stop it. And he pushes 
back on it. And one pushes back on him and says, what are you going to do to me? You're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian too? And so he got spooked. He realized word was out on the street. He went from that high position of being a somebody to spending 40 years in the desert being a nobody. Right smack in the middle of his life. I know some of you feel that way today. There were things that were going good in your life, and they're not going so good now. And it's a desert experience. And I would just simply say this. Hang on. Be faithful. Persevere in the wilderness experience. What did God teach him in the wilderness? God taught him skills to survive in the wilderness and the very geography that he would end up leading the people through later on. He knows what he's doing, even though we're clueless and we're on the downside of life sometimes. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. And if you think you're a nobody here this morning, then be encouraged. Sometimes that's the best work God can be doing in your life. I don't like the work personally. But I've learned that it is a work of God that's necessary in all of our lives, in all of our lives. In Acts 7.20, Stephen, shortly before he is stoned to death, begins articulating the story of Moses. And it says this in Acts 20, recalling his life. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was carried for, cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as his own son, her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. He was able to persuade people. In fact, it's recorded with historians that he was next in line because Pharaoh had no son at that time. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, are you, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill us as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Other scriptures translate it as an alien. I want to encourage you that even if you've done some of the most despicable things in your life and you beat yourself up every day, God can forgive and overlook that and transform your life and use you as powerfully as He would use any other person who had never fallen to some of those ways. I am nothing but God still chooses to use me. And I believe Moses would go on and say, God chose me and will choose you if personally willing. The third thing is this. I believe that Moses might say to us this morning if he was around our dinner table, God can still set people free who are willing to follow him. God can still set people free who are willing to follow Him. When He came to him in that burning bush, listen to God's words. These are God's words. Yahweh Himself speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. He says this in Exodus 6, 5. 
Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses would say to you and I this morning, God can set people free who are willing to follow Him. I mean, He wasn't going to set them free if they stayed in Egypt, right? But they chose to follow Moses and God's leading, and He set His people free. And He can set you and I free today as well. You know, it's interesting... um, One of the reasons I felt led to pick Moses was because it's the July 4th weekend. Had our first Temecula fireworks experience at the Reagan Park. That was fun. There were a lot of people. A lot more in my small town. But you know what? I I sat there on our blankets enjoying family time and getting ready for the fireworks, which once they went off, they were in a different direction and the tree was blocking us. But that's all right. I'm going to (laughs) learn. should have asked around before I sat down, I guess. No wonder that nice place of green grass was open. (laughs) But I looked around, and one of the things that I love about this place that God's brought our family to is the great diversity that's in Southern California. The mix of people, and I know it's not just ethnically and racially, I also know it's background-wise. This is a great melting pot of different kinds of people. And you saw it at the park. And we were there celebrating our freedom in America. And I would just ask God to continue to give me a burden and know how to pray for our mission field. And my thoughts went to the fact that, you know, we celebrate freedom in America, and I am so thankful for that. And the people who fight to keep our freedom and the people who lead, I pray for them. But you can be free with a nationality and still be all balled up inside and a slave to the fallenness of our sin. And I said, Lord, keep us on a path that we may, too, bring people to freedom, but the freedom that's found in you, not just the freedom found in being patriotic. You know, it's interesting. Marietta was sort of... uh, Front and center on the news this last week, wasn't it? There's a lot of different kinds of opinions and thoughts as it relates to the immigration issues of this country. When those buses rolled in and they were turned away in the town hall meeting in Marietta, and even in this room here, I'm sure there's all different kinds of opinions, but I thought to myself, you know, may we be a people that are about bringing freedom And may we stay focused on the freedom as a freedom from our sin and indifference to God and bring people real hope and freedom that's found through Christ. Everybody deserves to be loved and cared for, no matter what their background, their present flight. Every nation needs to have laws 
So we're law-abiding people. I understand that, and you can talk through a lot of different angles, but we never are allowed to lose heart, have a hunger for helping set people free. Moses went back from the desert because God called him, but because he was also broken for people in their plight. And so I would just encourage us to remember that God can set people free who are willing to follow him and that we need to be about that task. But as Moses soon learned, he would also say to us this, God can set people free who are willing to follow him, but freedom necessitates ongoing trust, faith, and devotion. They started to grumble pretty quickly, didn't they? They were freed from Egyptian slavery, but they weren't freed from the slavery of their own fallen human condition. And he had to battle with that. And he pointed them towards the God who would bring them ultimate freedom. I find it interesting. I mentioned to you that Moses is like a type of Jesus. John 8 says this. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So it is. So it if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It is through Jesus Christ and His forgiveness and inviting Him into our life and choosing to follow Him that we are set free from our sin and put on a pathway. But when we're put on that pathway, we must continue to trust, have faith, and be devoted to Him. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.1 in reference to this freedom in Christ, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So would Moses' last word maybe be the most important word to you this morning? God has set you free, but you have become bound again by a yoke of slavery because somewhere you've stopped trusting, you've backed off of the faith, and you're no longer devoted in the place that you should be. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up we're going to sing and just give you some opportunity and season to worship God and let Him speak to you. I believe God speaks to us today. Maybe not in a burning bush that isn't consumed. And maybe not from a voice that writes Ten Commandments on the top of a huge mountain. But through His Spirit, Jesus speaks. And what are the lessons from Moses that God would want to speak into your life today. In Hebrews, which you looked at last week, and so grateful for Bill sharing last week and Greg the week before and taking us to God's Word and keeping our focus on Him. But going back to that same faith chapter in Hebrews 11, there's quite a section listed referencing Moses. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, 
Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith. He left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Will you pray with me? Father, as we enter into a little season of worship here, I pray your voice would speak. If there's individuals here this morning, Lord, that need to understand that you are real and that you are also awesome, I pray that you would orchestrate the events, take them to your word, bring them alongside others, whatever it may be, that may they understand afresh and new this morning that you are real and you are present for them in their life. Lord, maybe some of us have gone through some hard knocks thinking that we were somebody and we've been taken down a few notches and it's discouraging and every day we wake up and wonder when it's going to end. Lord, may you draw near to that individual and let them know that you take nobodies and use them in great ways. And Lord, in that, maybe there's individuals here by God's grace, this is a tough prayer. Living life thinking that they are somebody, but knowing that they need to go this path of humility as Moses did. Lord, may you humble us rightly in light of your grace. And Lord, for the freedom issue, whether in our own life or in others around us or even people in this very valley that we minister, may we be reminded that you do set people free. And if there's individuals here that need to know your freedom, may they choose to invite you into their life. If there's individuals here who have been free but have become burdened again by a yoke of slavery, may they in this worship time choose to set it aside, to discard it, and follow in full trust, faith, and devotion to you again for your glory. Lord, we love you. May your spirit have his way. 